I don't have to tell you things are bad. The air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. The best things in life are at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios and I won't say anything. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. This is Freer, the podcast. We threw around some ideas for different topics and then fidelity seemed like one that we were landing on. Fidelity? Infidelity? It was a word out of the blue from you, and then I took it um, into 12 random directions in the text convo, but why don't you uh, elaborate on what you actually meant by it yeah. to get us rolling? I think it was just a drunk text. I'm not sure if I meant it. <laughs> it was a bona fide. Who is I, ta- I was talking to somebody about the concept of fidelity, um, because infidelity is just such a popular thing in our culture it's like it seems like infidelity is much more the norm than fidelity in in a relationship in a monogamous quote-unquote relationship or marriage you just hear about cheating and infidelity so often it's so the norm so it's something that's fascinating for me and uh i marvel at it a little bit at at how much of it there is Hmm. just because it seems like such a bad idea in so (laughs) many ways and then there's, I mean, there's the personal morality, there's the impact on your family and potentially mm. your kids, there's the family and cultural mm. and community implications. It just obviously seems like such a bad idea on so many levels to me, and yet it seems to be the norm. And uh, so it, it, that's, I have a lot more to say about it, but that was that was the, the thing that had me in conversation with somebody and talking about it, and then I just threw it out to you guys as an idea for a topic. My reaction is that it, it seems so self-indulgent. It's like, who has time for that? Like I, I, and I'm in a different boat that I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old and, you know, a lot of work stuff going on and whatever. And it's like, geez, like, would you, the, the quote that came to mind was Brad Pitt in the recent Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And that young girl is getting in the car with him and kind of offering herself up. And he's like, uh afraid of going back to jail and he's like not for poontang um <laughs> and that that was the phrase that came to mind for me it's like not for poontang I, I wouldn't be putting myself through uh yeah as as you say like it seems like such a bad idea in so many ways and you're just asking for trouble in so many ways for you know oh just three hours of pleasure three <laughs> Wow! Hats Ooh. off to you, Johnny. Three hours is that not? Is that <laughs> the not? measly three? Yes, <laughs> the measly three. <laughs> what do you think of the topic? I realized, just to be totally honest, as I just started talking about it, I had a moment where I thought, "Oh, maybe this isn't such a great idea to bring up." Because I think it's a great topic myself. You do, yeah. Okay. When I hear fidelity, I think about quality. So. Um, like if you hi-fi systems, right? And I have this thing with my friends where we talk about, I kind of came up with a a conversation around communication fidelity. So if I'm sending you a text and I look at the amount of data it takes to send you that message versus the message, if it was audio versus message as video, 
versus if I was to try to capture all the data that we're receiving now, human to human in person, I'm reading your body language, energy, possibly eye contact, um, voice. There's more nuance in the voice. So when I think about fidelity in, in relation to communication, it's almost like um, there's this very blanket term of like what it means to be in um, be in fidelity or like have fidelity with a relationship. But for me, it's almost the are you communicating? Are you communicating your needs? Are they shifting? How how close is that? is that um, awareness so that if it is shifting for you going like, hmm, I'm noticing I'm like looking at beautiful women right now. Like, how does that make you feel that I'm that I'm like eyeing these women? Because we can both kind of see that I'm like being mm. attracted by that. Like, mm. That's fascinating, Shane. I never thought about the term. There's usually a term we use, we think of with audio, right? Like a high fidelity system. Oh, I didn't know what you meant by it when you were, that's why I took it to the job market. I was like, oh yeah, people aren't um, devoted to their workplaces anymore and the workplaces are trying to con them into um, feeling like they get their meaning from their work. Right. And I suppose it's something that we talk about in terms of, I I was thinking in terms of intimate relationships, Mm -hmm. but I think it also translates just downstream to our work relationships and our friendships and right. Absolutely. Um, but it's interesting that we talk about people being uh, in infidelity in relationships. Right. But I don't think I've ever once heard someone talk about fidelity in relationships. Exactly. Until Shane. You can just rely on Shane to just take it a <laughs> 246 <laughs> degrees in a parallax dimension from the, the, the topic that was broached. I love that because it, commun- it is about communication. I mean, we yeah. know this, any of us that have been in a relationship for more than three weeks, right? How much of it is about communication. And obviously something in the fidelity of the communication is breaking down exactly. to lead to one person having sex with somebody else outside the relationship. Right. That doesn't feel like an overnight thing. It feels no. like something that's brewing and maybe not communicated. And then they almost feel like in my experience, like I see there's hiding and then which then creates a barrier in communication. And then that barrier of communication allows a person to do things that they wouldn't normally do if they're simpatico, if they're very like with someone. Mm. Yeah. That's a different conversation than like slowly blocking, you know, creating barriers, hiding away. Yeah. yeah. Right. People, there's no infidelity in the honeymoon phase of a relationship or when people are first sparking up, it's something built over time, probably through miscommunications or non-communications and built up resentments, et cetera, et cetera. And having, um, like in a contract, you would go, well, at the point that I'm starting to waver, like what's, what is my realmic possibility? Okay. I'm monofluid bonded with this individual, but do I have somatic potential with others? If that's something that I'm feeling a need to be scratched, like I'm not necessarily bonding, fluid bonding with another person, creating a whole cascade of hormones, but I am getting the somatic needs met if that's inclusive in our agreement. Is monofluid bonding a term that you came up with or, or that's that's a pjism okay yeah pj novotny brilliant man he's been exploring this topic of realms 
for years. PJ's the guy that he's he's what he's famous for inventing the the bob, right? The bob trailer and stroller. Hmm. Do you guys have a bob? Proud owner. Did you guys have a bob? Proud owner. We do. Yeah. Oh, you? Yeah. yeah. This message to you <laughs> brought to you by <laughs> today's sponsor, PJ <laughs> yeah. Novotny and I, Bob. No, he. I think he yeah. sold Bob a long time ago. I yeah, can jump did. in with a little psych theory here. We do know that if you stress somebody, they go more for short-term pleasure, mm. um, and so the way that that works theoretically is that. If things are stable and you're comfortable and things are reliable, then you want to invest in things that have a larger payoff later down the road, like a monogamous relationship, like sowing the crops, like raising your children well. But if it seems like everything's going to hell in a handbasket, then the game is now take what you can get now, eat eat all the food you can get, get all the sex you can get, do all the procreation Mm -hmm. you can get you know, forget about the future because it doesn't matter. And some part of us just goes into our lizard brain. The prefrontal cortex just kind of shuts down Mm. and we just become cavemen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can induce it, um, in different ways. Uh, so you can induce it, you know, one of the Mm. things they do, they have people watch a horror movie and then they put M&Ms on the table and they, they watch how many M&Ms people eat and, you can tell some people to try to repress their stress reactions. You can be like, there's a camera on all of you and we're going to watch who reacts the most. So try not to react. And then if the people are suppressing their stress reactions, they will eat more M&Ms um, <laughs> because you're just taxing them. Oh, Whereas if brilliant. you take the other half of the participants and you say, enjoy the movie, then they'll eat less M&Ms. Um, wow. Johnny, as a quick aside, yeah. Yeah. can you just mention your degrees quickly? It's not something that I don't, I'm not sure as, as long as I've known you, I've ever heard you really sure. talk about your degrees. Yeah. I um, have an undergrad in psychology and in business administration. I have a master's in industrial organizational psychology, and then I have a master's in media psychology and a PhD in media psychology. A PhD and it, in media psychology. Yeah. And it's, or, or psychology with an emphasis on media psychology. I studied creative writers and I, I just, I was able to keep going back to school and it was always more fun than working. So I would get a scholarship and then I might work for a bit and pay off a degree. And then I would just go back to school because it was a way to have a, an identity that allowed me to like read books in the bathtub and, and write essays and still be considered a functioning human in society. <laughs> in retrospect, I wouldn't actually recommend it to anybody. Like it's just too much theory. And at the end of the day, I, I kind of wish I had maybe taken on a trade and then like listen to audio books while I was doing my trade or, or getting good at something a bit more concrete. Um, cause even now, like when there's work to be done, I'm awfully tempted to just go read books in the bathtub. So, mm-hmm. um, a little harder with a wife and two kids, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They always leave their, their toys in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> and then you notice yourself, oh, why am I playing with this rubber duck? <laughs> I brought that up just so when we're talking about mm. these these t- kinds of topics, when and when you talk about from a psychological perspective, lending me some credibility. Yeah, yeah I mean, all you these know, bloody not, studies yeah, that not, I read over the years. Not everyone has a PhD in psychology. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Should we call you Doctor White? No, definitely not. I, I mean, you can if you want. If it's <laughs> if it's entertaining to you for some reason, but but it I, seems to me you kind of shy. I know this is a total non like going down a totally side path here, but sure. I've I, I've you don't really talk about your background that much i every time we it's, have a conversation i learn something new about you like you biked across africa and you have a phd in psychology like a, i 
they're like self-aggrandizing and that was my objective don't get me wrong back then was to be some kind of big shot bike trip or Mm. or degrees um but then you you do these things and you're like well was that as hard as like i don't know having grown up you know between foster families and like what 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 title does that person get right Mm. because they know a lot of stuff that i don't know and, and they've been through a lot and they've they've yeah. succeeded in managing that. And that was way harder than reading books in the bathtub, I'm sure. So like, why, why, should, why, why should I walk around getting crazy? Look at me. Yeah. When, when, you know, uh, I, the people who speak all kinds of languages and, and yeah, I, I don't really think it's, I don't know, man, the education system now, I, I, I think it's so politicized. I was going for a comms prof job and they were literally like, well, I want to know, like, do you know the publishers um, of some of the major journals? And I was like, is that a credential? Like, mm-hmm. like it's so corrupt in a way. And then there's a replication crisis in psychology where like only 30% of the studies, you know, and, and that's a, an, an exact um, yeah. representation, but like they're the, most of the studies are not replicating. Um, so these things that I'm citing for you and saying like, oh, here's the study on this, here's the background, like some of those probably aren't replicating anymore. So it's just this right. institutional um, thing. Oh, that, yeah. yeah. As a father who's got a daughter applying to colleges right now, I'm just a little bit terrified of what she's going to encounter. Jim Brewer made a funny joke about this. He said, I spent $250,000 for my daughter to go to college and she came back dumber than when she left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a fear of just sort of... When we were in college, you know, back in the day, colleges prided themselves on being institutions where you were challenging thoughts, where all perspectives were welcome mm. and the debate was welcome. And that does not seem to be the case today. The debate does not seem to be welcome. It doesn't seem to be a safe place for opposing ideas. And that's that that used to be what college was about. A lot of a lot of what oh, it was absolutely. about. Absolutely. I mean, when I was in college, I never finished. Both of my best friends died and. I totally took a left at Albuquerque, but um, we would debate each other. Like, even if we didn't believe that idea, it was fun. It was like sparring. It's like, mm. oh, let's let's really test the metal of this idea. Yeah, does it hold water? And uh, now, I, I you know I'm I'm speaking from the outside because I never finished, and we. You know, in my circles, we make fun of doctors. Mm. We say, you know, they're indoctrinated. And, you know, because now it feels more true than ever that in order to get to these upper echelons, you're basically, you're, you're toeing the line. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I mean, I can give you one stat. Uh, I think it's the past decade. Uh, numbers of students, number of professors have gone up seven or eight percent. And amount, a number of administrators or administrative budget has gone up 87%. Right. So again, this, you know, this strange politicization and capture and, and, and I don't think it's anybody's sitting down, twisting their mustache and deciding to do this. I think it's just these feedback loops, you know, happen and, and the administrators have lots of time to think about why they need support for this, that, and how else are we going to save these students and um and then they advocate for more budget and the profs are busy teaching and the students are busy trying to learn and trying to pay off their student debt and you know the the system just starts doing funny things after a while and and it seems like the more money that's involved the more captured it gets because 
I mean, I remember looking at my grandfather, who's a doctor, and he had PhDs like hidden in drawers. He never told people about. And like after he was dead, they're like, "Oh, there's another PhD." Like oh, Johnny. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> very much like that same attitude. Like, yeah, so what? And I learned what I wanted to learn, and I, I, I lived my way, and um, uh, I just lost my train of thought though because of that. But uh, it it uh, it felt like there was a pride in mm-hmm. not taking the money. Like my grandfather walked away, he he invented the square tomato, and he's like, "This thing is it's just getting too weird here. Like I need to just go log in Montana." And because there was some sort of integrity, fidelity, perhaps, that there that the information and the quality of what was going on mm. was more important than the financial return. Hmm. There was like, okay, we're after the truth, after something we can call truth or something close to it. Yeah. And f- screw your money. Like, yeah. fuck you. Fuck the horse you rode in on. We're after the truth. Yeah. The truth, yeah. yeah. The truth is the where we've lost fidelity. Mm-hmm. I feel like where our institutions have lost fidelity, our politics, our learning institutions. The truth, absolutely. Man, that's what's the most interesting thing yeah. to me. Always is like, and and I also believe that in, in an absolute sense, we don't really know any truths. I wouldn't pretend to know anything um, as an absolute truth, but within the confines of some agreed upon parameters, it's. Right. I'm really interested in the truth. Yeah. And asymmetric warfare, when you're trying to implode a culture, you have to like make the truth so hard to paw at that now you have all this infighting and subgroups. And it's just like, well, we don't even know what this is or that. We can't. And then the definitions change and. Uh, it's it's really it's, fascinating. It's insane. You yeah. you mentioned in the first uh, episode that we did that uh, you feel like we're closer to Brave New World than 1984. Sure. I think it's a, like a hybrid of the two. I read 1984 recently, right. just recently, a couple months ago, and it was scary. Okay. So it read to me like a textbook yeah. for what we're seeing play out right now. Yeah. I saw Biden posted yesterday something that said, and on Instagram, his post was something like, um, I will keep fighting big pharma for you and I'll never stop. I'll never stop. It's like 1984. It's literally, right. he's literally, he's literally done one thing yeah. and he's telling you that he has done and is doing the exact opposite. Right. All very provable, like tangible stuff that I'm talking about, not wacky conspiracy theory stuff. But this is a guy who said that if, you know, the unvaccinated were in for like a winter of death and destruction yeah. or, or whatever I, I, it was. We, we celebrated that. Yeah, for the death and destruction of us. <laughs> Who cares? Let's see how this goes. Even just taking out the right and the wrong and the truth of yeah. it all. Somebody who absolutely bolstered and pushed yeah. huge, like, profits well, for the pharma. Was, and now he's saying, right. I, I will never stop fighting big pharma on your behalf. He's trying to pose himself as something... 180 degrees from what he has shown himself to be in the last yeah. couple of years. What what does he mean by fighting Big Pharma? Did Big Pharma do something unpopular? Well, it, so if you double uh-huh. click on it, he's trying to say that he's going to try to keep prescription drug pli- prices low uh-huh. or lower. Right. So, so it's like, we still want to get the drugs to you. Keep the drugs flowing. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'd love to circle back to what you're saying, Johnny, because I think that 
that really underpins a lot of this conversation is both the fear. Cause I remember learning about propaganda mm. and how in horror films they would make way more money on popcorn. So they're like, Oh, right. okay. We're on to something here. Right. But now with the additional element of what you're talking about, of not, not showing the fear. Right. Yeah. And then that creating a consumption element and almost I'm like, right. Wow. As you said that I'm thinking about social media as this way of like, Oh, everything's cheery. Everything's great. Right. And meanwhile, we're like, Oh my God, what's going on with the world? Oh, I can't show it. Oh my. Mm-hmm. And, and like, Oh, I got to consume to like, fe- like feed this, this situation to like calm my nerves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyways, that, that was kind of what went through my mind as, you Oh, it's, it's super interesting. This is tangential, but not, um, the note, the fact that everybody walks around drinking like their warm, sweet milk from sippy cups, uh, from nipple cups when, when like the world is as complex and intimidating and chaotic as it's ever been. Um, I, I had a friend point out that it's quite comical that everybody's kind of back to the teat, um, yeah. metaphorically. Um, yeah. and yeah, I, I, I fully agree. And I, I can take that a few different directions, right. you know, kind of jamming with you. Before you move on to the next thing, I have a funny story about being on the teat. I was at an Amish buddy's uh, house and he's got like seven kids and we're having dinner and they actually have coffee after dinner because I was helping them build roofs and do some stuff. And Only Shane would start a sentence with, <laughs> I was at an Amish buddy's house. Bird raising, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was great. I, I, I just love that culture. I love so much about that culture, like how they teach their children young. There's, there's community. There's so many beautiful elements that I see. They're doing some great things with AI. I hear. Oh well. yeah, that's right. They're, they actually invented it way back in the 1500s. <laughs> now they're just cruising. Where, where does this friend live? Uh, in Montana. Okay. Yeah. So are they, are, are the, I don't know that much about Amish other than kind of the cliches, but do they live in communities yeah. together? Yeah. Well, I mean, they have their own homes and then they have their centralized church. But you're not going to find like an Amish guy in a Tascadero. Uh, you might. I mean, you usually they move together. What I've noticed is like they're because they they want to go to church together. They want to build homes. They build businesses. A lot of these guys are very wealthy. Like we were I actually flew out to Vegas and then out to Reno with my buddy and he's Amish, well now Mennonite, and we were out gold mining. So we were doing, we were taking samples of gold and him and his buddies had gotten into various business, uh, you know. But anyways, that's a whole nother tangent. But it was funny, I was drinking coffee after dinner at his house. And uh, I don't know if his wife set me up, but I, I was like, oh yeah, can I get a little milk for my coffee? She's like, yeah, sure. Um, here you go. And do you want to see if anyone else wants them? And so I go into the the room and the the living room and it's a bunch of Amish guys and the kids are running around. He's like, Hey Norman, you want any milk? He's like, no, I've already been weaned. (laughs) I was like, Oh man, he got me. (laughs) I was like, dang it. I'm like a man child over here drinking milk. (laughs) I I wonder if there's a if the deeper joke is there and that that's how they see you because you're more a part of, you know, this um, suckering modern society. Yeah, what they call the English. English. 
Do, how do schools work? Do you know for Amish kids? Are they are they going to their church or are they going to um, community schools? What yeah, happens? they they have their own community school there, and I think that's through the church. And they're always reading. I remember I was uh, I was the foreman of a truss shop building wooden trusses. And during 2020, I was like, I'm going to get out of California because I think it's going to get weird. March 1st, I was in Montana. Wow. And I was like, Good I, call. I got my orders from Great Spirit. I was out and um, ended up working for the Amish, building community with them, getting raw milk for, from them, doing Dude, trade. that's amazing. You spent like the lockdown period building trusses with the Amish in Montana? I did. That was a good call. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I even, uh, anyways, there's so many stories there. We could go down so many, but it, it was such a blast. It was so nice to be in that culture, in that community, just working hard, doing honest labor. And um, they could, dude, they could sell like vacations now at this point with the Amish. I was thinking about, I mean, we talked about how hard it is to get away from technology the last mm. time. And I was uh. thinking about that recently. It's just, it's just, we're in this time now and there's just no putting the toothpaste back in the tube. But I can imagine a couple of weeks with the Amish just unplugging literally. Right. Yeah. There's no. Yeah. Well, could, so could, these, this is more Mennonite. So the, the, they were Amish when they arrived and because it's hard to find rides, they eventually kind of modified. Now they're driving, getting licenses. They are. That. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they have cell phones, but they used to have these big bricks that they'd have to carry around and uh, an old school cell phone. And so now they've kind of modified, they, they, they're slowly, uh, unfortunately, you know, like from my perspective, it's a little unfortunate, but I, I totally get it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Why it's a trap. You, why did you come back? Um, so I came back. Uh, initially, I went back to Virginia to be with my mom mm. and I brought my dog there and um, it just, she needed some one-on-one -on -one attention. She'd been watching the news. You want to talk about fear cycle? Sure. Like, I, I feel like I'm not going to talk lawsuits, but if there were a lawsuit of all mm. the suffering that the news has created in this world, mm. it would be astronomical. How many people they've damaged, you know, put into this fear state. There's negative psychological implications here. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. it, and, and yeah. mistrust, breaking apart community. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fear sells. It's, it's, it's the breaking of fidelity, right? So mm. you have trust. We used to have this common trust like, Oh, I know people in the government. I have people in the government in my family. Like I ha I grew up with, I'm like, yeah, they do some weird shit and some messed up stuff, but overall I'm okay. You know, like I, I, I love living here in the United States roads electricity yeah it's like it's this is a beautiful country and people have worked very hard to create this system and i know people that are in it and i trust them what i don't necessarily i have an issue is with upper management going like what's going on here why are we being so divisive we're we're trying to like rise all ships mm. like let's stop dividing mm -hmm. i know you can sell more popcorn but it's getting fucked up, mm -hmm. guys. Like yeah. your need to make more and more profit every year is destroying the very fabric mm -hmm. that makes this place so special. Yeah. Well, we saw it with um, social media, Tristan Harris and Aza Raskin, the guys from uh, 
Center for Humane Technology talk about this a lot. I don't know if you've heard them, but now they're talking about AI. And uh, yeah, the rush to the bottom of the brainstem from social media companies for our time and attention, which equals their profit, never considered like, is this going to be good for humanity? You know, so they were optimizing for time and attention, not optimizing for an optimal society or culture. So social media has helped to create a world that most of us, you know, don't really want to live in. And then AI is going to stands to just accelerate that 10x. So go so to try to stick a little bit to the fidelity topic what I'm seeing is there's there's actually a connection between everything that we're saying and it goes back to if we talk about marital infidelity and I want to I want to ask you guys a specific question about that um, when it goes to relationship infidelity or marital infidelity you talked about that when you stress somebody out they tend to grab at things yep. so maybe we can I, I think it's not a leap that we can extrapolate that out to the larger society and Every, everybody's panicked so they're all fucking each other so <laughs> in one way or another in one, sure. in one way or another yeah. but let's but if we could talk for just a second about the specifics of the relationship infidelity i'm really curious to get your guys take because i have a daughter who just turned 18 mm. who believes and said to me all men are cheaters to that effect. Maybe those weren't the exact words, but it was something to the effect of all men cheat. And I've heard that from other people as well. And I was so discouraged to hear that coming from a teenager, that her belief is literally all men cheat. And my response to her was, that's not true. I know a lot of men that don't. And and and, and you know how I know it's not true? Because I don't cheat. Mm-hmm. So you can say most men if you want. Maybe you're correct about that. But you can't say all men. There are good men out there. And does that even make somebody good or bad? Uh, you know, I'm, that's a judgment on my part, just just even qualifying it that mm-hmm. way. So the question I have for you guys is, first of all, how pervasive do you think infidelity is, marital or relationship infidelity? You know, if you had to put a percentage on it. And then what is going, like, what is going on there? Mm, I, don't have a, I don't have a statistic on that one. I can tell so I I never have, you know, relationship or marriage. I used to call myself a like a transcendental idealist, which I think I probably made up when I was 19. But the idea that you can, you know, transcend your reality based on an idea, you can come up with an idea of who you are and then that becomes who you become and then that becomes how the world works. Why not? Uh, sure. Yeah, it's it's a little it might be a little naive, but um that's kind of my reason, I suppose, is it's like, if I'm making this up as we go, then is that the world that I want to live in? Like, am I, am I that much of a chicken shit or am I that much of a, of a liar, you know, that I would, I I just think it's a brain power thing for me. It's like, I, I don't have the brain power to like pretend that I did something that I didn't do. And, and I'm, bit of a dick too so like i just don't care enough about anybody's feelings to try to act one way for one person or act another way for another person so that's been my and i don't know if that makes me a good person or a bad well, person all of that but. tells me that right off the bat you had a judgment that, that cheating is bad and not cheating is is good and i'm just just to be clear like you you made some decision in your own mind early on this isn't something i want to be because this is something that i a way of being that i don't admire i disagree with at least for yourself yeah i just don't i don't really see where the win is um and maybe that's a but but i think it comes mature perspective how old were you when you 
Oh, a, a long time. I, I mean, I, I would have had, I, my parents have been together since they were like 19 and 16 and they're, you know, I come from a really solid family unit. So, um, I suppose I always believed that. And my, my thoughts about women used to be very pure and angelic. I didn't grow up with any sisters. So it was like, oh my God, a woman, like, are you kidding me? Like, oh, she's interested in me. That's amazing. And like, I'm writing her poems. And meanwhile, the woman is like, dude, you don't even know me. Like, you haven't even asked me about myself. And you're like, you know, you're assuming that I'm the one and that I'm, you know, that I'm all these things to you that like, you you know, you don't know anything about me yet. So I, I was messing it up in my own particular way. But I think I always had Just that. by projecting like a perfection onto. Yeah. And then and then that makes it weird, you know, and it stresses them out. And you're not interested in them. You're just you're just interested in the projection. So it, it took me a few years to figure out that that wasn't the way to roll. Um, so I'm just trying to I don't know, it, you know, my 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 moral grounds for fidelity were not um, immaculate or or. Even, so you think now, thinking back, it was a little naive, maybe, but but you wouldn't do it differently. No, yeah, no. As far as that part goes, I, I just think it's like I don't know. Who are you kidding? And then, like, don't you want to? Don't we all want to have a, a great relationship at some point? And if you can't trust yourself to um, be a person who who you know sticks it out in a great relationship, then you by definition can't have a great relationship mm-hmm. because you you're unreliable um mm-hmm. you as the you know scientist or as the actor you say you're going to do one thing and you do another how pervasive do you think it is how right do you think my daughter is when she says all men cheat all men cheat uh i don't know man i'm gonna say like 30 to 60 percent um I, I, the other, it's the, it's the Bill Burr joke, right? Like the, the, um, Tiger Woods who was having these sexual escapades and all these people were like, that's reprehensible. And it was like, yeah, have have you ever been there? You ever had like a school bus of Swedish, you know, models Models. waiting for you when you, when you finished winning like the world's hardest golf tournament? So I, I think it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I, I I suspect that some of the time it's by by virtue of virtue, and then I suspect that some of the time it's just by virtue of of lack of options, which is less noble. Do you think it's about fifty fifty, give or take? I, I, I don't know. I, I you don't know. I shouldn't speculate because I I'll just be proven wrong. I'd say it's less than fifty fifty in my friend group. So I I think there might be certain pockets where it's more socially acceptable. France and. You know, um, like my first relationship, I was cheated on. Mm. That was painful. My Uh, very first relationship uh, came back from Costa Rica, had all these presents for her. uh, You know, I was just jazzed. Shane, you're going to make me cry. And it was, it just, bam, got hit. How how did you find out? Ooh, um... It's funny. I think that's so buried in my psyche, but she she did end up telling me, and it was it was one of my buddies. Uh, I wouldn't call him really a close friend, but I, I wouldn't call together. him a friend at all, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and I think he was so obsessed that it wasn't about me or her. It was just like he had this chemical thing right. that was going on, 
and he couldn't help himself. And uh, so I, I was, I've been very probably overly honest, not really because I'm, I feel principled in my honesty where I'd rather be uncomfortable and go like, Hey, I'm not feeling this anymore. Like, and I really want to be with this other person. I want to try this out. Mm. And, and I, yeah, that's how I would operate. And then v- Werner or Werner Earhart, you know, he has this great talk about um, the heart of the matter. And at the time I had just um, gotten my puppy, I had her for about six months and she was pooping and barfing and all these things. And I still loved her. Mm. And it uh, it was so inconvenient, but it was like this thing that just brought me so much joy. I it just walking her and all these commitments. And what he had mentioned is that love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. And it's not just a feeling, rather. Mm-hmm. And so I it clicked for me. It was like, oh, so you mean when the person I'm with it becomes inconvenient or doesn't feel quote unquote loving. That doesn't mean we're not in love or loving each other. Hmm. It's this deeper commitment. Like it, and it had, it took my dog Onyx to teach me that like, Oh yeah, I'm really not loving what's going on right now. You just chewed through like five of my books. Hmm. Um, and I still love you and I'm still committed to feeding you and walking you and, playing with you and all the good things. And so that really shifted the paradigm for me versus uh, taking it from this transactional awareness to this relational awareness. McKee, Robert McKee, um, used to say that love is self-sacrifice without expecting anything in return. So would you, and, and he's using you know, great movies and great stories. But the theme that he uncovers is the lover, the person who is giving love, is is doing something that's good for the other person. And they, they might never, ever know it, never be able to appreciate it. Um, there's no recognition. There's no medal. There's no pat on the head. Um, and that that's, that's what it is. Uh, and I suppose, you know, you think of a, a dog or like, especially like an old dog, it's like, nobody cares. You know, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I guess you could post about it on Facebook and be like, hey, look at me taking care of my old dog. But like, nobody really cares. But, but you know, you still do it. So it's a, I don't know. I, I liked that idea. I wonder about your daughter. Um, the sensitivity at that age because there is some truth to the fact that I think men are always aware of um, beautiful women around. Like it's like a, it's like a, um, I don't know, a blip on a radar, right? This this radar that just exists, and then you, and then you just. But I think everybody is. I think women are aware of of beautiful women or, yeah. or of others around. But I can see that hitting. Like I know when I was that age, it was like, oh, no, I would never even think of another person um, when I am dating somebody. And it's like, well, that's a little naive. Like, you, you can't turn off the caveman, yeah. you know, totally. You can't at all. Yeah. I mean, when I was in, when I've been in serious relationships in the past, that's been part of my own spiritual practice is to monitor my own feelings and my own thoughts. 
you know, because, yeah, obviously, if I see a beautiful woman, I'm going to there's going to be an attraction I'm going to notice. And then I would start to notice how far down that road do I go and do I really want to go down that road? And you can take this to like porn and like fantasizing all this stuff. Right. Mm. And what I started to notice was I don't like the way it feels to have that sort of internal infidelity. I don't like the way it feels when my energy starts to, you know, if you're imagining or fantasizing about another woman, I don't know. And look, I'm not passing any judgment about this because I I can see both sides of it as well. But does it feel good to me to be putting that energy out there, which in a way, if you're somebody who believes in, you know, mysticism at all, you almost believe that if you're you're fantasizing about something and imagining it, then on some level. It's happening on some energetic level. Hmm. An exchange is taking place Hmm. of energy. Right. Even on a psychological, right? Right. Uh, Mirror neurons are connecting, you know, so I'm viewing this thing and the neurons, those pathways, and it's going to be become easier for me to make that leap Hmm. if I'm presented with that opportunity, if I've already fantasized about it. Right. You're sort of training your neural Hmm. network that there's like, multiple women in my life, the one that I'm committed to in dating. And then, you know, the seven others that I'm fantasizing about. Right. Yeah. Cutting out porn a long time ago, I mean, did wonders for my brain, like, uh, and my psyche and just feeling clean and clear and n- none of these, um, it almost felt like just, uh, tentacles or nodes of awareness. Like we're just overly and just the whole industry, very exploitative, yeah. I just, it's like, you know how like people have a lot. There's a big, there's a big like sort of counter push these days to to give up porn. And I I just had a funny thought about, you know how like you want like farm raised Hmm. or like grass fed cattle. You're like, is this porn? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is it free range? Where's the certification on this porn? I want to make sure this is consensual. And, you know, eating? was she paid well? You know, like, I want to know that all the things are in order for me to actually enjoy this. Grass-fed, non-GMO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the analogy or the sports analogy for what you are saying earlier about the mirror neurons, like Olympic athletes, every athlete does visualization. And, and the studies show right. that it works for, for somebody who knows how to do the thing. Right. Let's say it's a long jumper because you're talking about jumping, you know, into, into a, another situation. If they know how to long jump, then visualization is just as effective as practice yeah. um, under, you know, more circumstances than you might think. Same for free throws um, in basketball. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you literally are establishing the, the neural connections. Well, Joe Dispenza talks about studies where it's they've even done it with piano lessons and um, exercising. I mean, the most uh, startling one was where they had three groups and one group would lift some it was some spring exercise or something like that. Mm. And one group would do it. One group would not do it at all. And one group would imagine doing it. Mm. But they had to imagine it for a certain number of minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, whatever it was. Mm. And they found improvement in the people, in the muscle, in the muscles, in the muscle growth of the people that were imagining exercising. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 So I imagined working out earlier today. I got that. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I should have been doing in the bath instead of reading all those books. But we know this, so, so yeah, I mean, porn, that's a whole other kettle. Well, because, like, you know, where's the fidelity, right? So how can I have this neural, uh, you know, um, bona fide connection with my partner? When you said bona fide, I thought you were going somewhere else. Oh, that's funny. That's, that, that would be the certification 
Bonafide. Bonafide porn. <laughs> Bonafide porn. <laughs> Grass-fed. Ethically sourced. <laughs> Ethically sourced. There is a site called Bayessa, or Bella, however you say it, B-E-L-L-E-S-A dot co for those of you that want to check it out and it's like porn made by women was there oh, was cool. their big thing hmm. and when i first saw that i was like okay that sounds a little bit more like it because yeah. it's going to be more ethical by nature yeah. because you know it's run by women do you think ai will take over oh, you know because yeah. it's like okay well that, now they can yeah now they have ai yeah you've got women. infinite amounts of distracted tron porn oh yeah i've heard that there's like ai women right now that are making like tens of thousands of dollars a month yeah, I'm like old, I, I don't that. know if it's like an OnlyFans page or whatever it well, is, yeah. but there's there's made up women. I mean, that kind of solves some of the ethical right. issues, the ethically yeah. sourced issues. Well, but it Johnny's depends on sure your ethics. That. So, like, is your ethic to support a struggling college student that you know, like, that's maybe how she's paying her rent to get through her master's program? You know, there's an ethic. There's to, only one college student I plan on supporting. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you have. Just kidding. <laughs> I, I'm not. Well, I'm not, I've never actually been on OnlyFans, but I, you know, I'm just like kind of thinking of like, okay, is your is your ethic to support some dude that's like programming AI and just like? So you are you're arguing for the for choosing bona fide. Uh, I, yeah, I, a, I believe a, that a there's a that case. In backing. I so so to bring it to fidelity, to me. The problem is that you are, you know, porn AI, whatever you called it, porn bots or something. Porn bots. It, it's like you're not living in reality, right? You're, you're, because a relationship should be a reward for, you know, certain kinds of behavior because it's meant to build intimacy. It's meant to, you know, turn you into a better human, allow you to take care of kids together, build a family, be part of a community. And so if you're taking the, um, the sexual part f- and divorcing it from the rest of it from the relationship, yeah. the, and then you're you're kind of getting that you know for free, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You're just making yourself like a weirder and weirder animal that has less and less connect. Like imagine imagine a like a a turtle or you know a turtle that was like masturbating. You'd be like the hell like what are you what are you even doing and all the other turtles are out like eating eating seaweed and like you know fraternizing and, and yeah. catching what doing whatever turtles and are supposed also to be doing. Re-pro- reprocreating right right yeah. right and then you got this one like weird turtle over by itself in the corner and you're like dude like you know i'm, I'm not picking that turtle from the pet store <laughs> like um yeah i just i just think it's uh ah. I, I love I love what you're saying because it I mean I've never really thought about it that way but it is kind of getting the reward without doing the work right. of yeah right and, and and I think this does tie back um, you know so I was talking about I was lamenting academia and being like yeah it's all political it's who do you know you know it's who is your supervisor are you promoting their publications and like where is truth in any of that um, does anybody care. And I think it's better in the hard sciences because in the hard sciences, things can be proven, disproven, you know, validated, invalidated much more easily than they can in, in the softer sciences or the, the you know, kind of studies programs. Um, but it's that that distance from truth that I think is so dangerous. Um, and I think that's where things go astray pretty quickly. So something I'm interested in. Sorry, are you talking tracking about? Now? 
We were talking about porn, and then you said something about the softer sciences, and I just <laughs> yeah, I yeah, got, yeah. I got so, lost. So if I hard if I, and soft if, sciences, you're like, wait a second, <laughs> what are we talking about here? The bona fide science. <laughs> there's, um, a, there's a pill for that. So let's say that I am a. Um, <laughs> let's, can, let's we can make those sciences harder. Okay. Yeah. That they're sorry. That's I'm, where it's going. Um, if I'm a chemist and I say that I've discovered a new chemical, it doesn't take you long to figure out whether I've done it or not. Mm -hmm. If I'm an ethnographer and I go and I, you know, study a suburb of Paris and I make a certain claim about it, it's like, well, did he really go there? And are his observations really accurate? And do his conclusions really follow from those observations? And so... I mean, it's this is a hard argument to make because I, I do think psychology is really important. I, and, and I even think psychoanalytic thinking is really important, which is, you know, the, the nipple cup analogy that I gave earlier. But it's it's so much harder to keep that real or, or rooted in any kind of testable reality. Right. Um, it's than, so fluid and it's difficult to. Right. And, and even for somebody well-meaning, it's like, well, you know, this person is a lot like me and thinks a lot like I do. And then I've got this other journal article that I could publish and it's coming at it from a 180. You know, everything that I've learned in my 30 year academic career suggests that this person who thinks like I do is probably the one who's right. So I'm mm. going to publish that yeah. paper. This other weird one over here that contradicts contradicts and invalidates all of my 30 years of work. I don't think we're going to publish that one. I think we're going to let that one slide. So I want to build this to an idea. I don't know if this is the right time for it, but here we go. Uh, Could you create a website where everybody is making predictions? So we all say, here's what I think is going to happen in a year. Here's what I think is going to happen with the election. Here's what I think is going to happen Um, you know, with Gaza, here's what I think is going to happen with Ukraine. Um, here's what I think is going to happen in the physical sciences. Here's what I think is going to happen with people trying to get to Mars. And then every, there's a, there's a protocol for saying things in a way that can be falsified. And if you, if you predict the truth accurately, then you get some points. And if you don't predict the truth accurately, then you don't get any points. And if, like almost even a betting system, but mm-hmm. but mathematical, right? So that everybody can be like, oh, well, we really think this is the truth. And then you look at it and, and in post hoc, um, you go, oh, man, this this fringe theory that this one, you know, Hungarian, um, you know, banker predicted turns yeah. out turns out to have been right. Maybe we should talk to that That's guy. Maybe we should see what that Hungarian banker thinks about this next thing and even better you start to aggregate those right you start to cluster those people and it becomes like a form of prescience yeah yeah as opposed to i mean i don't know my understanding of like um it's like minority report you know like where the (laughs) i love it i love it but in a sense right yeah i mean if people have a track record Mm -hmm. of and then you're able to group people because no one's ever going to be 100%. But right. if you get a, if you get people that in, are 70% of the time, 75% of the time, they're right. And then you cluster a bunch of those people together. And then you go, well, let's query that cluster of people that are 75% right. You've got a, I mean, statistically speaking, you've got a 75% chance of being right about whatever that prediction is. Right? And then there's meta trends. Why were they right? Oh, right. was it a banker who actually was engaged in the financial transactions that this was pertinent to as opposed to the theorist at harvard who was 
making predictions or as opposed to the stockbroker, the stockbroker on Wall Street who was making $14 million a year? Yeah. So maybe even if they weren't directly involved, they understood the dynamics or mechanisms involved in that sort of change. And does that turn out to be true for biology and chemistry and, and other walks of life? And I just, I mean, my, this is again, disconnected, but connected. I think that the stats on stockbrokers, um, I don't even know if that's the right term, financial advisors, like people who advise you on investments, I think they do worse than the S&P 500. Like, is that right? Oh, like 97% of the time. Like it's crazy mm-hmm. how much better off you are just investing um, in like a standard index fund. And and yet these, you know, yet this is a mat, like financial services, it's this massive, massive, Mm -hmm. massive market because everybody thinks that they must be doing something Mm -hmm. because it exists and and it wouldn't make any sense for it to exist if they weren't actually doing anything. My God, what is AI doing with financial markets right now? Well, BlackRock's had one of the oldest AI systems. That's why they're kicking so much ass. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Larry Fink was a failure. And then he put, I mean, in certain terms. And then um, and then he went in and kind of like, uh, I was trying to think of the guy that was did uh, Bridgewater. But uh, um, then he kind of revised his thing and then created this AI system to analyze all the data. And that's what created this mammoth. Wow, and that had to be a really rudimentary AI. Oh yeah, it had to be almost a manual. Yeah, there. You know, I don't. I don't know the behind the scenes, but and how advanced AI is because it's like, okay, this is what they're releasing to the public. Hmm. Um, what were they doing at MIT in the seventies? Right. We're probably. I don't even know if we're there yet. <laughs> so um, it's it's just an interesting world we live in, and. Um, but real quick, I, I thought of something when you were speaking because you're talking about hard sciences and soft sciences. Mm. And I started thinking about hard fidelity and soft fidelity. Mm. And so it's almost like um, what came to me was there's certain boundaries that are hard fidelity. Like, okay, no fluid bonding outside this relationship. That's mm. a really easy gauge to monitor. Right. Fluid bonding? <laughs> we'll get into that later. And... <laughs> So this is that's why it's a hard science. It's like okay, it's easy to tell when you're physically connected with someone else. Mm. But the soft science or the soft fidelity is like like you were speaking about earlier like uh thinking, am I thinking about this woman in this way or this person in this way, whatever it is. Yeah. And that's how do I even monitor that? Maybe this is going on in my brain without me even necessarily being fully conscious of it. It's nice because you can see where hard fidelity falls short because, you you know, oh, I'm sure there are lots of people who have no fluid bonding outside of the relationship. And yet you wouldn't want to be in that relationship um, because, you know, there's no soft fidelity, uh, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean by that? Um, well, it's it's more so what Shane meant, but I think he I I think we were just that the energy by soft fidelity you mean that oh, the oh, energy like is if you're in a relationship but you're thinking about somebody else exactly. or you're on yeah. porn all the time right, or, right. or you know you you never show up you never ask about them yeah you don't talk you know you're on your phone all the time when they're trying to talk yeah like you you could be a right bastard even though you haven't. Um, penetrated or been penetrated for by sure. another person yeah, for sure yeah. yeah 
Yeah, I used to, when I was last serious relationship, I was in, we would call it leaky energy. Mm. If you were sort of, because there's, there is that line where you can just tell sometimes if you're tuned in that the other person's energy is not infidelity mm -hmm. and maybe they're not actually doing anything. Mm. And this could be like the basis for a huge blowout fight between two people. Right. Because like, what do you mean? I was just talking to him. And yes, maybe she was just talking to him, but you know, the signals, you know, the nonverbal signals, you know, the cues. And it's like, there was, there was some leaky energy going on there. Hmm. You were sort of energetically making yourself open or putting yourself out to that person. And that's, that's, you know, that's hurtful to me. That's offensive to me. Right. Some guys, some guys are into that. Hmm. Some, some couples are fine with that. They're fine with their mate having sort of leaky, as I would call it, leaky energy with other people. It's almost like they get stimulated by a little mm -hmm. bit as long as you're, you hey, know, as yeah, long as you're going home night. with me. Yeah. I don't feel that way. I'm way too sensitive. I'm like, I yeah. don't, I don't want to have leaky energy with someone else. And I don't want, if I'm in a relationship with you, I don't want either of us to have leaky energy. I even question my own mind, you know, if mm -hmm. I'm having leaky energy within my own, with that, with my own mind, not that I've perfected any of these things, by the way, I'm not trying to say that. I'm on a pedestal on these things in any regard, but they're things that I contemplate and think about in relationship. Yeah. In some I, ways it's easy to stay in fidelity in terms of not cheating. Right. Like just don't fucking cheat. Exactly. That's not, that's, that's a be, hard, hard fidelity. It yeah. shouldn't be that difficult yeah. in my opinion. Although it seems to be difficult. Hard for, fidelity is easy. Soft fidelity. That's a lot more challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To not be on your phone or to not be you know, your energy going elsewhere or well, especially when you have the limbic hack of Instagram or whatever, TikTok or, you know, as Elon Musk called it, he's like, basically they're hacking your limbic brain, the reptile yeah. part yeah. of our I brain. I like what you said earlier, but the race to race the, to the bottom of the brainstem. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a Tristan yeah. Harris quote. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Somehow I feel like this all kind of tracks back in a way to my teenage daughter saying all men cheat. Cause I, I just feel like, and what you talked about with, things that are happening in cultures, there's always going to be a five or 10 year lag behind what we know is going on with our, our culture, right? Because it takes so long to collect the data and see, correlate trends, et cetera, mm. et cetera. Mm. But I think that we know, um, I think that we have a sense right now that our teenagers are living in a very different world than we lived in. And they're seeing things through a different lens than we saw them. And maybe is it possible that in t with teenage boys, Maybe they all do cheat. Yeah. Well, Maybe the fidelity. Cheating, what is cheating to her? Stats on the kids is that they're not, um, they're not having sex exactly. uh, comparatively to, to what it used to be. They're right. not in relationships. Which, which is why they think talking to someone else is cheating because they're not oh, having sex. So it's like they're having these mental, emotional relationships. So that might literally feel like however it, it is did in the I, would, 80s. I would consider it infidelity as yeah. well if i'm in a monogamous relationship and that person's telling me how much they love me and yeah. I'm the light of their life and then they're hanging out with somebody else yeah. at the same time and literally flirting with that person and yeah. that it used to just be he said she said and mm -hmm. now it's like here's a screenshot yeah. <laughs> the, the hard record of the text yeah. really hurtful stuff yeah. really hurtful but is it i don't know i mean well I and and here's here's where i mean I, I have issues. Do I own this person and all their whims? I don't feel that I have that agency. I trust my woman and we love each other and we have certain agreements and 
uh, you know, if she started talking to another guy and all that, maybe it's a phase. Maybe she's feeling trapped. Maybe there's something else going on where it's just a release of energy that she doesn't know how to process. Yeah. And it's it's tough to make these broad assumptions. Right. How long have you been in relationship? Two years. Two years. Yeah. And how serious? Uh, as serious as it gets. I mean, actually, we just announced this Thanksgiving to our close family that we're having a child. Oh, whoa, wait, whoa, wait. Yeah. what? Yeah. Congratulations. What? Yeah. Yeah. Now the whole world's going to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. We're yeah. We're thrilled. Dude. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're in for it. It's it, to me, it's like, it's a major pillar of the life experience. Like, it's like, what is there? There's some career, some friendships, you know, birth family, um, some travel and adventure and then like kids, right? Like yeah. that's, that's one of the things. It, it, um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. congrats. It felt like that. I was like, Oh, we're meant to have children. Fantastic. Like this is the next step in human evolution or my yeah. personal evolution. I started thinking about, Oh, I thought I was this, you know, I think about other people, which I do, but I really started to think about a future beyond just myself yeah. in a very real, tangible way. Wow, ways. Shane, that's huge. Yeah, thank you. Talk about fidelity. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know about you, Johnny, but if you've had this experience, but it takes, to me, it takes the, the thought of fidelity in the in the greater sense, Not I obviously not talking about like intimate intimacy, fidelity or infidelity, but having a kid takes that to a whole new level. Like that little being from day one is like, that's like, I'm committed to this being yeah. forever. Absolutely. And whatever it takes to protect and, and, you know, care for this being. Yeah. And so this, this brings up the question of like, okay, we have Santa Claus, right? So what, at what point does telling the truth and, or what point sharing some fun myths? Yeah. Break the bond of, yeah fidelity and truth speaking and and also like how much of it is healthy like oh yeah. this is healthy for them to have this imagination right. and this have you seen that pastor that stands in front of like schools and yells at the kids that santa claus is not real yeah i just saw that it's so horrible it's so... have you seen that john no but I, I think it's hilarious my my <laughs> my, my i just think it's great like who, who... you do I, oh my I, God, I, it's, it's horrible it's, I'm, I'm not for it, but I'm not particularly against it oh. either. Like I, 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 I love it when there's somebody standing on a street street corner screaming that money isn't real. It's well, like, yeah, but these are kids like yeah, going to grade school. Fair enough, That's but horrible. Yeah. my I, mom, like I thought I saw Santa when I was really young. Like I really thought I saw him like go up the chimney. Sure. And my mom's like, Shane, um, <laughs> how old were you? I context? think I was like five or six. Yeah. She's like. What Christmas is really about is the spirit of Christ. And that's what it's about. Like, it's really not about all these presents and this, that, and the other. It's about love. Yeah. It's about family and the spirit of Christ. And so that what, that felt like my mom nailed the timing on maturing my mind in that way where I didn't keep running with this yeah. thing. Because I know she tried to protect it for a while. And then it just was like, okay, this is going a little far. Dude is seeing things. Yeah. We I want to be a reindeer when I grow up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
he's hallucinating Santa going up the chimney. We have to tell him before it gets worse. Yeah. Are you Christian now? I'm not not Christian. Okay. So like I definitely resonate with not not Christian. Yeah. So I'm I wouldn't like put my banner on any one thing. Sure. Um, however, I've had cosmic divine experiences that definitely open me up to that possibility. With Santa Claus or with Christ? Christ. <laughs> and apparently Santa Claus at one point in my life. Fantastic. My four-year-old wants to know who's on the naughty list. And she's like, he sees when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Can Santa see us in the car? Creepy. And I'm like, yeah, I think so. Um, so she's at, she's very she's asking very specific questions yeah. about yeah. that. And like, she's like, who in my class is on the naughty list? And I'm like, I don't know. It's up to Santa. She's like, well, am I on the naughty list? And she's very worried that she might be on the oh, naughty wow. list. So, um, well, good, but healthy I, paranoia at four years old. I just think, I mean, to me, it's, it's does Santa like prep people for a police state who's always watching, putting people on the naughty it's list. It's very 1984. Yeah, he it's very like, what if it was like actually a psyop? He Santa knows when you're awake. Yeah. Like Alexa, I think this way, yeah, but like an Apple Watch. I, uh, but a lot of mythology. I haven't gotten to write this idea into anything yet. But you know how the a wizard, you know, or a witch like wiggles their fingers when they're casting a spell, right. and I think like, um, is that a is that a fantasy about the future? Because we're gonna be muttering things, and we're probably gonna be wiggling our fingers with some kind of haptic glove, you know, feedback oh. system. So if I wanted to build a computer program right mm. now that was gonna, you know, move something from that room into that room, it in in fifty years wouldn't it make sense for me to mutter some incantations, wiggle some fingers to move some of the code around, yeah. and then yeah. that would build the system over there that was that was about to do it. And anyway, so with Santa is Santa a psyop? That's my same question. Is like, are we, are we fantasizing about the future somehow? Um, in a lot of different ways, which yeah. is a, a fun avenue to go down. That is a fun avenue. Is Santa a psyop? I just love that whole premise. We should do a whole episode on that. I kind of. So, so you're not doing Santa with the kids? Oh, we're doing Santa. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, and yeah. I'm going to be in front of your house with a sign saying Santa is not real. Yeah, that's fine. We'll go. They can't read. We'll go out and visit you. Um, my my daughter wants a chocolate covered banana, uh, and then we'll get my two year old a chocolate covered banana too, because otherwise he'll he'll steal hers. Um, I don't know, man. I, I you know it's the God thing to me. It's like is God real? It's like, well, what do you what do you mean? Like, because there's a universe and there's there's stuff in it, and there are certain ways that if we behave those ways, things tend to work, and they tend not to work other ways, and that's kind of all God's saying anyway, and like. Even if you took two devout God believers, even if they sat next to each other in church, they would have differences of Completely. opinion about what God thinks. So, like, that's my first thought: is how it's do kind you, of a who cares. you have to define God, or you can't even have the conversation, right? Yeah, you can't define what? God because God's infinite. Darn it! Well, so much for that topic. <laughs> <laughs> is Santa so? So is Santa real? It's like no, but. Not, you know, is Harry Potter real? It's like, well, I don't know. Like, it, a lot of people read it, and a lot of people think that way. And mm-hmm. is the Bible real? It's, well, I don't know. A lot yeah. of people read it. A lot of people, I'm sure it's not verbatim. You know what I mean? Like, everything is everything is close enough that it's useful, and none of it is... Act, like, even Newtonian physics isn't actually true. So, right. so where's the fidelis? Where's the fidelity? And so, like... It sounds like there doesn't have to be a hundred percent in order for it to be useful. 
Yeah. As far as truth and science. I mean, as yeah, far as be a model. Yeah. As far yeah. as whether or not there's a God, let's just use the, let's just say that by God, we mean creator. To me, that's mm-hmm. just, that's a, that's a silly argument. Like obviously, and I've tried having this conversation with atheists and I don't recommend it. <laughs> um, but to try to pretend that all of this is happenstance is just one of the silliest notions in the world to me. The, the level of complexity of existence that we see, the level of engineering behind just, I mean, just look at an ant colony. Just look at the digestive system. Count the number of heartbeats that your heart beats automatically by the time you're 30 years old. How many, the, the, the cardiovascular system, the endocrine, just everything about the body. And that's just one little being. And then you can look at an ant colony and a butterfly and a bird and the billions of different things that are out there, the bacteria, the engineering behind what we perceive as reality or I perceive as reality is fucking mind blowing. I mean, it's mind blowing. It makes an iPhone look like child's play, like a sandbox. And to say that there's no such thing as a creator to me is akin to saying like, yeah, if you just like, you know, give enough, enough universes, enough time, it'll blow together an iPhone. So I'm gonna, this is ridiculous. Of yeah. course there's something. To me, the question is, what is it? Mm. And you don't have to say, like, people get caught up, and my daughter included, like, oh, I don't believe there's some man with a long beard in a chair yeah. sitting up above judging Which everybody. I don't know who's promoting that viewpoint. I don't, know, I don't, I don't think, think. I will. Any, I'll do it. You will? Yeah. The yeah. man in You'll the chair? You'll be the guy that, okay. that believes I'll, I'll be the atheist. Because I told her just yesterday. No, I, I meant the guy, like, who's promoting the old man in a chair? Oh, the Pope. I don't. I don't really think that's true. I, yeah, fair I, enough. This pope, maybe not. As yeah. Much, did you but. see the newest thing where he's actually they're um, allowing gay marriage because not that they're sanctifying it in a in a sense, but they're saying that God loves all people, so they no longer are. There you go. Putting up issue. Oh, welcome to the club. Yeah. Jesus. So to speak. <laughs> Took a minute. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what oh, would Jesus do? Loving the, everyone, what would Jesus do? Love and accept too? all people. Uh, and uh, oh, oh my yeah. God. Of but, the, but then you can't. Gosh, it's also silly. You can't be pro anything or anti anything in that case. You can't be anti anything done by people. If you're if you're like, well, like I, I'm not. I'm, I'm for gay marriage a zillion percent. Don't get me wrong. But like that's a good point. That kind if you of don't draw line somewhere. Yeah, yeah, then, there's like, no, right. then there is no morality. Right. Child abuser. Well, that's a person. God loves yeah. all people. It's like, well, I don't know. Is there a line? I, I think God still loves them. Like whether sure. or not he condones their behavior. Right. That's that. That's the conditional love versus the unconditional love. Yeah. Right. See, that's such a man-made thing to me. That God would be like, depending on which orifice you place your sex organ and right. enjoy it or not enjoy it, yeah. is, is contingent upon whether or not you're accepted into my. That's just yeah. Silly. That's so far into the minutia. It's so silly that it's yeah. Do you guys silly. know Bo Burnham? And then I want to get back to the atheist thing because mm, yeah, yeah, I want to. Yeah. I say you want Love to challenge me on that. Bo yeah. Burnham, have you seen his his uh, from the perspective of God? His no. song for oh my gosh. You have to give play. us give us a theme or a line. I, I'm, I would butcher it, but he just he does this song from the perspective of God, and one of them is, and one of the lines is something to the effect of, um, um, "You can eat pork if you want to, because why would I give a shit? I created the universe. You think I'm going to draw the line at the fucking deli aisle? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great. He's he's hilarious, by the way. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love Bo Burnham. Yeah. And I, I think some of these things like kosher were developed to help a people stay healthy and safe. Right. Right. So back in the day, butt sex was probably causing issues. Like maybe, maybe even, uh, you know, physiological or health related issues. Right. Eating pork was causing health related issues. Right. right. Like that there was, they had to go, Hey, they had extra fish on Friday. Yeah, exactly. There's let's, some let's get those omegas in some yeah. pragmatism in the Probably. divine yeah. laws. Yeah. Things are so clearly man made to me, you know, but, but you want to take up the case of atheism. I'm going to give two. I, I'm going to be Douglas Adams who would say like, well, the moon is made out of blue cheese. And then you say to me, no, the moon is not made out of blue cheese. And I say, well, I say it is. So, so the point being, there's a burden of proof. If, if, if yeah. I'm going to claim something that seems extraordinary, yeah. that does not follow Occam's razor, that is not the simplest answer, yeah. then there's a burden of proof on me to prove to you that the moon is made out of blue cheese. Yeah. And so if, if you want to, if I want to say, well, it, you know, it looks like, you know, there was a big bang and everything went out there and all the, all the particles coalesced and they followed some natural laws and then Which they I created these different things and evolved. Complete crap. Really? I yeah. Do. yeah. I think not, the big bang is complete crap. Yeah, I'm not in the bumping particles or the as big the bang source for, as the source for all creation. Absolutely. I think it's total crap. Okay. But we'll go back to that. Continue with your. No, that, that uh, you know, that's the gist. So of, you're saying that the burden so of proof on me would is, be, is on you. Which you, is oh, funny because I think the burden of proof should be on the, the random bumping of particles was, somehow made an iPhone. Right. I was going to say. That yeah, seems could, like the extreme I, example. <laughs> right. But you're, you're inferring another agent. I'm inferring, um, you know, Wozniak and Jobs and, um, you know, a few thousand kids in Asia. But, um, uh, but creating together. the minds that are Wozniak and Jobs. Yeah, I, I'm inferring evolution, but you're inferring an extra, or, or a, a religious person is inferring an extra mind that puppeteered evolution. Well, I along didn't say that. Way. Did I say puppeteered evolution? No. Same. I don't even think it necessarily takes a religion, or um, and then you get down to the definition of God. I would just simply say some, there is a designer or designers or creator or creators mm. by the simple fact that, I mean, we have, we would have to agree on some on certain things for me to make the argument. And we would have to agree on that. If you wanted to put together uh, a system that has any complexity at all, that it takes some sort of an inspiration. It takes mm. some sort of a um, inspired action to, in order for that thing to come into being. Okay, so let me take it back a step. So you start with nothing. Mm -hmm. And from nothing, you're going to end up with something. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're going to manufacture a marble. Mm -hmm. So, but there is no marble to begin with. Mm -hmm. So in order to get from no thing to, oops, to something, to mm -hmm. that marble, there has to first of all be, first of all, you have to conceive of it. Some There has to be some conception of it. If a marble were to just pop out of the sky from nowhere, somewhere there had to be some, and, and you can think of this in as broad a terms as you want, but somewhere there had to have been a design for that, an idea for that, an inspiration for that. It had to come from somewhere. There had to be some original impetus for that action, for that creation. 
that's just a marble. But now think about like a cardiovascular system. Sure. Like so, the design, the level of complexity behind the reality that we could conceive of yeah. is so mind-blowingly complex. The engineering behind it is so mind-blowingly complex. I don't know how anyone could say there wasn't some semblance of an architect, a designer, an original impetus yeah. to create that. I just, maybe, maybe it's nothing. Maybe we're about to start warping space and like you know, bringing things into reality, you know, based on bending our mind or traveling time or something like maybe the complexity of an iPhone is, is, is nothing at all, um, compared to what's possible. Oh, it's definitely nothing at all. It's nothing at all compared to an, an, a butterfly, a monarch butterfly yeah. an iPhone's nothing. Maybe a butterfly is nothing at all though. Maybe, maybe we're about to figure out how that works and then we're about to, you know, start tunnel weaving through particles and, and, you know, bending different parallel universes well, I think that's to kind each of, other. Yeah. Uh, the Luciferian complex. Like I can create something better than the, than what was developed over billions of years or yeah. millions of years of evolution. Yeah. And we can, you know, it's, it's, you know, like I'm open to that possibility, but the likelihood to me seems pretty rare. So it's almost like bolstering what exists that has been developed over all these millions billions who knows and comes from this maybe very deep intelligence yeah versus trying to like go oh monarch butterflies bullshit like we're going to create a better one that's got animatronic things and we change the thing and then it becomes blub it's just like okay no oh i i agree i agree with the luciferian i mean that's the perfect word Yeah. yeah and i'm i'm more I'm more attuned to you guys in my sensitivities and, and even like, I, I think it's a bad idea to assume that there's nothing and to not, cause if you say, okay, there's a creator, it's like, all right, well, we, we can't conceive of how smart this thing is and we can't conceive of what its motivations might be, but it does behoove us to think about it. Be like, okay, here's how the universe works. I wonder how the creator thinks. I wonder what the creator would suggest that we do in our lives. So there's, there's your God and there's your rationale for it. Um, Again, the Douglas Adams argument is, is simply like, okay, we went from nothing to marble. That's fine. But if I say we went from nothing to marble and then you say, no, we, we went from nothing to creator and then we went from creator to marble. It's like, well, your, your theory is more complex than my theory. So, Well, that's the deeper paradox. I don't know if there's a name for it. If there's not, I'm going to call it the Beltram paradox. Oh, good. Which is that... <laughs> I, 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 I think I can make a really convincing argument against the Big Bang, against really evolution in terms of we started as a single cell in an ocean, and now we developed billions of species of different beings that all have reproductive systems and the whole chicken and egg theory, you know? Like, it's a cliche, what came first, the chicken or the egg, but really, what came first, the fucking chicken or the fucking egg? It makes no sense. Reproductive systems, male and female reproductive systems make no sense. Show me how we got from a single-celled organism into a man and a woman fucking each other on Pornhub. Like, but I that's wanna... the whole game. That's that's Darwin, right? Dar- Darwin shows some diversity, some some evolution of the species. I will grant Darwin. Yeah. I would grant that. Yeah. I would say that yes, one having been created. Yeah. That then then yes, there is some survival of the fittest, and there's some evolution. Right. But I think it's a completely broken. 
um, thought process to take Darwin and then backwards engineer that into we started as a single celled organism. I mean, he's talking about lizards growing longer legs or running faster or developing a third eye or something. Right. But he's not talking about like how a single celled organism turned into millions of different species with male and female varieties and reproductive systems that lay eggs. How did you have the first chicken that laid the first? It makes no, to me, it just so clearly makes no sense. I mean, the first chicken, I, my, the first chicken was a dinosaur and then right. it, it had the, the baby, the chicken had seven babies and one of the babies had like slightly lighter scales. And then that baby was able to like jump right. through the trees and run a little faster and then that baby had seven babies, and one of those baby had slightly lighter yeah. scales, and those turned into feathers. And then there was a chicken. So there's no, there's no but, line in the sand. But whiteboard just, that whiteboard that out for me from a single celled organism in a tub of goo in yeah, the yeah. ocean into the millions of different species. Yeah, it's it's just into a, all of the system, the complex systems that we all and they all have, and the way that we all interact with each other, the human brain, the human heart. Started. That's my speaking of the heart. I got to go pick up my daughter. Oh, um, that oh, nice. how to, to say that the human heart and the human brain all and the human respiratory system all started in a tub of goo and just give it a billion enough billions enough years so, and it's going to turn into me. I just I can't conceive that. But let me let me debate myself on this really quickly before you debate me. Yeah. Even if I can win that argument and convince everybody of that argument, yeah. I still have to say, okay, well, then something obviously designed and created this. And then you instantly have to say what designed and created that. And you're right back to the same fucking problem of something coming from nothing. Right. Well, and, that, and, and my human, nothing, right? my human brain cannot conceive of that. I mean, Walter Russell is really great about this and, I don't want to, I just want to speak on that something from nothing piece because he yeah. talks about the still magnetic white light. And it's so still and so bright that we see it as darkness. Because how can we observe something that is still? All of our tools are based on vibration, perturbations in the field. That's all we can observe. So something that's completely still remains invisible. And so as something comes from wholeness, enters into um, polarity, ma masculine, feminine, then that creates the rhythmic balance interchange. Yeah. Now you, you're starting to get towards matter. Yeah. But then it obviously it will return back to stillness, which is the wholeness, which is what we see as death is also life. And then you have the paradox of you know, the eternal. This is what keeps me up at night. I'll give you my other great thinker <laughs> after Douglas Adams. Well, okay. Maybe I want to stay. Shane, I, I, I kind of tracked you, but I, I suspect that what you were saying was closer in relevance than, than my brain made it. So you're, this is the, um, is it the Upanishads, right? Um, it, everything is God playing hide and seek with himself and, mm -hmm. and is, is how, how does that help us with, okay, I see. So, so is your argument that that is the nature of the stillness? It, it was always God 
And then God started playing hide and seek with itself. And so the stillness broke itself into particles, which turned into chickens and marbles. Um, and so there was never nothing. There was always exactly something latent in the stillness. It, it's Because it, nothing can... It, that doesn't work. That equation, if you start with zero, yeah, how do you get to one? Sure, and, and I'm I'm down with that too. I just I just don't like. Uh, what the whole God? I I don't know. Maybe we mean the the same thing. There's a quote that like the God is the name of the blanket that we throw over the universe or like existence and and you know the way that things are just to give it a shape so we can call it something mm -hmm. which yeah. i'm which i'm i'm good with right but it's I, like this feeble attempt to comprehend the incomprehensible yeah my, uh, my other great thinker was little dicky um, <laughs> in the pillow in the pillow talking song because uh, the girl is religious he's like uh -huh. oh you're religious bitch uh so so god never wrong so God made the earth and then God like, I'm going to put some dinosaurs on that shit. And then he's like, nah, and he just blows up the dinosaurs. So that's his, that's his counter argument about but God. That's it's fun. Like, See, that's fun. Like if I were in the position of the divine, like would I want to just like have one successful species the whole time? I was like, mm, that's kind of boring. Yeah. You would want to do something like this if you yeah. were omniscient, all powerful. Yeah. I You'd mean, want to make some big crazy shit show. Yeah. And then, like my daughter was saying yesterday, maybe we're just some kid's ant farm, you know, on a dresser, oh, sure. on a dresser somewhere. I like, love Look that. at these things. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Simulation theory. Yeah. Humans like really. I mean, I think simulation theory has to be a fact on some level. It just depends on how you want to define the simulation. Right. Because when you think of the classical, like there's a God and created the heavens and the earth and Adam and Eve and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's just creating beings that at our fundamental core are made up of energy. And if you look close enough at that energy, it's kind of ones and zeros. Mm. It's kind of code on mm. some level. Mm. Maybe it's really advanced code, but how different is that from a simulation that we're creating? Yeah. I, I again, I think simulation is a psyop. You do. <laughs> that's that, I mean, that's my <laughs> intuition. I have no proof. I have absolutely no proof, but I, if I were to guess it would be priming us, for a digital life, like buying into, like mm. if life is just a simulation, then join the simulation. And it's like reverse engineering. It's like a Pepsi commercial. Right. It's the Pepsi commercial. But you, like with advertising, as you know, there's different levels. Sometimes you're just advertising the idea. And then you're advertising the action. And then you're advertising the specific. Who's running the PSYOP? And, and PSYOP, you the mean like... like the, the, so, like, this is the good question, because uh, what is it? The ignorant man blames others. The something man blames himself, and the wise man blames no one. Interesting. Hmm. So it's part of it playing... It's This is hmm. the unfolding. Right? Yeah. It's part of the divine unfolding, or, mm -hmm. or simulation, however you want to say it. <laughs> but... Yeah. Uh, um, I thought you were going to say that it's the capitalists who are running the psyop to try to catch the Amish and, and, and get them smart. to stop. <laughs> you know, I'd love to give them that credit. Yeah. I think they're very intelligent. Yeah. But that's pretty advanced. Um, right. So instead, it's it's the, it's the organic, it, it's, uh, you know, us, society 
running a psyop on itself yeah. to, to try to encourage us all to um, plug into whatever yeah, weird the future we're creating. Kind of like, you know, where it's like, okay, the if you look at evolution, right? So we're like looking at the next step in evolution. Yeah. So is that joining with machine and advancing in this way? Is, right. But if you have more of like this um, God, divine consciousness, you, I'm actually trying to make my life more simple, not more complex. I don't necessarily believe that life is getting better as we get more complex. I feel personally in my life, it gets better when I simplify. Sure. And so I'm trying to go more simple, not maybe to the Amish degree like that takes generations and they've done some great things and they've done some, uh, you know, their husbandry. I'm like, this seems very cruel. Um, you know, there's not a lot of compassion there. So the, to each their own. But I, I just notice, like, OK, where I'm going is I'm trying to become more authentic Yeah. with myself. Yeah. And like the, with my relationship with Monica, I didn't even kiss her for the first three months. And that built fidelity because I could trust Mm -hmm. myself. She knew I was a safe container, but more importantly, I knew I was a safe container. Mm -hmm. I was like, I can be around this woman. I'm comfortable with my own skin. I want to know who she is. I want to know everything about her and love her for who she is. I don't, I'm not the whole game gamification transactional thing. Yeah. I was, I'm over it. I'm you played it. that well. I like that tip. Yeah. You're yeah. so much of a better person than I am, Shane. <laughs> I've just made more mistakes. And <laughs> uh. Challenge you on that. But the zero one, uh, sorry, I don't mean to Please. jump from where you are, but just going back to that zero one thing, you still always have the paradox. If you ask why enough times, you, yeah. you still get back to a one coming from a zero somewhere. Well, the one is the zero and the zero is the one. So between every, like, let's say molecule is a shaft of stillness. In the center of every storm is stillness, which is. But even that had to come from somewhere. Yeah. And it couldn't have. I think it's this is metaphysics versus physics is the conversation that's happening. Um, Um, I'm not sure if it is. it's, 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 It's there is a metaphysical element. You are right. And there's a physical element. Well, if you look close enough at physics, right? I mean, when the further down they look, the less they understand. You get down to quarks and leptons and uh, up quarks and down quarks and leptons. And then they just see a whole bunch of nothing. And they go, well, we're not really sure what that is. It's not vibrating. Um, the God particle or the black dark matter or whatever, you know. Yeah. And then they have, then, then the guy throws up a little symbol. He goes, that means gravity. We don't really know what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The big G. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the then big we gravity. can't, they, it, well, is it the Heisenberg principle of something? If you know the speed of something, then you don't know where it is. And if you know where mm-hmm. it is, you don't know what the speed of it is. Mm-hmm. Everything blinks on and off. Yeah. Nothing sits still. So like God is... To me, I've never seen why there's this huge argument between science and and religion or science and God, because the deeper you go into science, it seems to me the more that you that you look into the eyes of God, you know, you see down there dark matter and uh, things blinking on and off that never stay in the same place. And it's all moving anyway, because we're moving, we're rotating and we're flying through space and space is flying through more space and. Just none of it makes any fucking sense. 
and the smartest people in the world, what I love about the smartest physicists or scientists in the world when I listen to them or watch them is the smartest ones will always get down to we don't really know. Yeah. You know, they yeah. at the base of it, they, they don't know. So I don't know, is there a difference between metaphysics and physics when you really get down to the essence of it? No, I think you got there. What I thought was happening, I thought you were saying to Shane or me, the one still has to come from somewhere. The one can't come from zero. And I thought I heard Shane say one and zero are the same thing. It's all just part of um, the way things are. Uh, but now you seem to be saying it's all just part of the way things are because when we when we go down deep, you know, up quarks, down quarks, you know, the 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 nothingness that's at the base of it, you know, that, that like, okay. So it's like, I heard you saying matter has to come from somewhere. And then I heard you both saying, but we don't even know what matter is. And matter is dependent on no matter to even exist. So let's just call, let's just call it all the same thing and be cool with that. Anything. As soon as you even have a thought about something, you can't even, you can't think about nothing. Right, so you can think about dark matter. What's there? Nothing. Well, what's nothing? But nothing is the everything. It, it's so vast, and we can only see what's peeled off of it. Yeah, it's kind of like we can only measure what's splashing at the edge of the ocean of the eternal. In yeah. my in my understanding of like what I've read of Walter Russell and some of these other people, where. You know, I'm seeing Johnny put his head back and go. No, I'm just oh thinking hard. <laughs> I'm picturing the edge of the eternal. I'm with you. I'm following yeah. you. Yeah. And so it's like, how do we measure the immeasurable? We can't. We can just kind of like open a slide and shut it yeah. and like measure the, the, the little particulate matter that we've captured and go, well, I think this is representative of the whole, but yeah. I don't really know. And we keep getting closer, which is cool. Yeah. And I don't think there's any bottom to it, but we keep coming up with more ways to be like, oh, this is related to that. This is related to that. Oh, sure. now I can, you know, now I can talk into a microphone and the sound will travel somewhere and I can see it on a computer. It's like, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we got some stuff to play with. We know more and more with inside of certain parameters that we draw for sure. Yeah. But outside that outer parameter i don't feel like i feel like we get in some ways further and further away it's almost like we go more toward that the inner parameters and we learn more and become smarter and more brilliant and and as we do we're simultaneously moving farther cosmic balance away from the greater mystery that's interesting and i'm trying to I don't know, but does that map to the fragmentation that exists, you know, the polarization, you know, is, is all of this somehow of a kind that as our knowledge specializes, I I don't know. I'm just, we, we, I'm interested in why we, think the way that we do and why society is the way that it is and and how that relates to technology and somebody jump in if you can if you can launch off this and go somewhere with it because i i'm at risk of this is thank you yeah we might be butting up against time because i've i've got something we are actually my daughter yeah uh we've got about two minutes so that's uh 
maybe it's a good place to wrap up and just, yeah. and just to just launch us into the next conversation and the next and the next. Yeah. There's I, an infinite amount there to really discuss. Is. Yeah. One, one breath each. What's next? You got to breathe in and you got to get it all out. Um, well, I can tell you just, I would love to uh, continue that in the, my theory of hydrogenated humans, fractionated humans. And I'll leave it at that. Hydrogenated humans. Wow. I got nothing. I'm just holding my breath, <laughs> waiting until I have something to say. <laughs> Fractionated humans. I'll give up my breath so you can you can have another breath. Well, I'd just like to continue this subject, but it, it's basically how I've studied fats, right? And how we hydrogenate fats, separate these large slabs of unruly fat like tribal like if you think about people in groups and with enough pressure and bleaching and you actually make a nice substance that is easy to manipulate and creates a consistent results and i'm looking at the pressures of society and all the fractionation that's going on because you got to fractionate the fats you got to break them apart the families you got to break apart the tribes the the socio and economic classes, et cetera, et cetera, mm. ad infinitum, and fractionate it so that we can create the perfectly hydrogenated human that can be manipulated just like some nice, sweet, sweet fat Crisco. <laughs> Will that help us become more or less freer? That is less free. So it's good to be aware of the the factors that are that feel that pressure, that stress, that where we're giving up agency for convenience, where it feels like fidelity, but really it's convenience. And so that was one of the pieces that came up for me that I wanted to explore with Johnny when he was like, well, you know, I don't need a badge or a, a whatever for, for holding this certain elements when you're in a relationship and you're just like, that's a lot of brain power. Hmm. And so when is it convenience and when is it principle and when does that matter? Hmm. Good stuff, guys. Uh, yeah, I love this hydrogenated humans thing that's going to cook my noodle for a while. Good talk. Yeah, I just am seeing like humans in a certain section in the supermarket with a label on them. <laughs> All right. All right. You got to go do some real world stuff. Real, real world. world stuff. Smaller circle stuff. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.